Well, welcome to episode three of the Rugby League United podcast, where the sport's biggest names discuss their life, their career, and aspects of their mental fitness. A variety of themes we're looking to explore across uh, the various episodes, with a special focus today on on connecting, on the importance of giving, of talking, and on trust as well. And our guest, uh, who himself is doing some wonderful things, not only on the Rugby League pitch, but but perhaps more importantly off it as well, is, is one of the best centres in the game, I suppose, Wakefield and England uh, centre, Reese Lynn. Great to see you. How are you, first of all? Yeah, really good, thank you. It's uh, Obviously, it's unprecedented times at the, at the moment. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been nice to spend a bit of time with the family. I've got a, a young daughter who's two next month, so she certainly keeps me on my toes. So, yeah, I've just been... Busy, obviously, being a dad and just trying to take over with rugby and stuff, uh, training as much as possible. There are positives, aren't there? We we focus on on the tough stuff, but actually speaking, I spoke to Rob Burrow at length last week, and he said I wouldn't have had this much time with my family, and that's what that is what is so precious right now. It, it's kind of giving us stuff that we might have not otherwise indulged in as much, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And don't get me wrong, there is the odd days of stuff where it kind of becomes repetitive. And obviously for, for a sports person like myself, a routine is massive. So kind of not having that, it, you do have some tough days as well. But as you say, it's it's something what I don't think we'll ever get again. The, the chance to kind of be in your, your family's, well, your immediate family's pockets. Uh, like you say, if you've got young children or what have you, to see them grow up day in, day out. Like the changes I've seen in my daughter a daily so yeah to, to see them changes every day it's, uh, it's brilliant I just think we've just got to make the most of it because I don't think something like this will ever happen again in our lifetime and I think we'll probably we'll probably find as well is that it won't just be over there'll be you know there will be change there'll be there'll be long-standing impact won't there what, what other thing you mentioned like some days you do have tough days still even though your approach to it seems seems spot on what are those what are those triggers or what are the things you worry about yeah, it's just, I just get a lot of uh, kind of anxiety, really. It's just like I say, I'm a, I'm a person, what, especially with, with being in sport, yeah, everything's pretty much black and white. You, you wake up, you go to training, you get told what to do, then you come home and then you're just occupied. So for me, it's, it's trying to just keep my mind occupied. I'm a person where kind of if I've got too much time on my own, things can kind of wear off a bit. So it's just kind of knowing about yourself and just being able to, to just control them kind of controllables it's like for me I'm, I won't lie I'm not a massive fan on training I don't love training but even like on my days off I still have to train so I just feel like it just gives me a kind of purpose while we're off on to get that day to a good start otherwise I just feel, feel myself just lying around kind of not knowing where the day is taking me so even though like I say I'm not a massive big lover of training it's more sometimes doing it, it more gives you that that uh, that edge mentally, really, just to, yeah. to give you positivity. That that control, the controllables, is that just something you have to keep telling yourself? That's something I say to myself a lot when I find myself worrying. It's like, can I do anything about this? If the answer is yes, then you, you do that. what you can do about it. If the answer is no, then you've just got to roll with it, haven't you? But, but that is easier said than done. That's kind of an argument you're having in your head to stop thinking about that certain thing. Yeah, definitely, and it, it, it takes years and years, like saying that you don't really realise, but I was, like I say, I suffer with anxiety and just worrying about everything, really, and then when you actually, you actually, like, now when I sit back, 
have to think about some of the things that I am worrying about. I'm like, well, can I change them? Like, no, not really. So what's the point of worrying about them? Kind of what will be, will be. And that's, that's had a massive impact on, on my mental state as well because I've just learned to just kind of go there, roll with the punches, go say, like, if something is going to happen, it will happen. If I can control it, then I will try and play my part in that. But then if I can't, it's just letting that go kind of thing and just just dealing with it that way instead of worrying. Uh, we'll talk about your rugby in just a sec. Just one thing on that you said already about missing missing the structure. How do you try and ensure that that structure in your life is still there? Are you Do you get up and write a list so that you can tick things off? Or what Are there any little things you do to give yourself... Uh, structure in your day? No, well, usually what I do is uh, the day before uh, tomorrow, so like today I already have kind of in my, my head a plan of what I'm doing tomorrow, so that just gives me a, a sense of like I'm, I'm committed to that, I've got an idea, so then when I wake up I already know what I'm doing. Sometimes you, you tend to find if, you, if you've got no real plan or direction, you can, you can wake up at seven o'clock and then by 10 o'clock you're still lying in bed and you, you kind of don't know where your day is heading and that's when you start feeling a bit lethargic and a bit down so I always try and plan the day before so I kind of I've got an idea in my head kind of what I'm doing and then that's the plan what I'm going to follow so that I can wake up I already know what I'm doing and then I just go out and kind of do that yeah yeah I guess that that goes into the the ways of well-being and the setting, the goal setting, which we talked uh, about on last last week's episode with Danny, and you know, setting smart goals, uh, which I guess is is part of what you're doing. Because if they are, you know, specific, measurable, attainable, then you know you're going to tick them off that list and get them done. If we set ourselves in, in sport, in life, unrealistic targets, they're kind of unhelpful, aren't they? Because they just stay pipe dreams. They've got to be stuff you know you can do, know you can get done. Yeah, definitely. As you said, they've got to be achievable. There's no point setting real unrealistic goals because you just you just you're constantly going to be putting yourself down by by failing. They've got to be realistic, but obviously you can caution on the edge of being a, a tough goal, which obviously gives you that that drive and motivation to to kind of reach that. So yeah, it's, a, it's about having a, a good balance, but. A big thing, like you say, going on to goals is, is believing in yourself, like to, to set them goals kind of high and then bars high. Like, I've kind of constantly still have this kind of like shock, like when I get picked for England or obviously all the, the worry and stuff like that around it. It's just not believing in yourself, really. And I don't think you can really get to the, to the top until you genuinely start really believing in yourself and, and your ability. Yeah, my partner says that to me a lot. It's like you can't believe or trust in yourself. Uh, trusting other people if you're not first trusting in you and believing in yeah, yourself. How, how can you expect other people to if you don't? Um, and that's, you know, I suppose that's absolutely right. Um, what, what, you, what you say about drive leads us into what, what Danny Maguire was saying last week. Uh, he was driven when he got into rugby to prove people wrong because of what he was told. Uh, he was recounting career, careers advisor conversations about when he said, I'm going to play professional rugby. And they're like, no, seriously, you know, what are you going to do? And he used that as his drive and uh, and his motivation when he's been told to, to get a proper job. Uh, how, how did it all start for you? How, how did rugby become your life? What, what are your earliest memories of knowing that that was, that was going to be the way you were going? Yeah, well, growing up, I was, I was never really into rugby. It was more playing football at, at school and stuff. So it wasn't until I was, I think I was nine, nine years old and I just moved down to a new house in Hull. And uh, Fred got close to a, a friend down there and he was playing rugby so 
my mum did drive, so he said, oh, like, we'll take you down to training. So that was my first early, earliest numbers, when I was around nine. And then he was like, uh, his, him and his dad and mum were big Hull FC fans, so I ended up getting, like, a, a season season ticket for Hull FC. And it kind of just went from there, just, just started to get the, the love for the game kind of thing. And I was just, just a really skinny, fast kid on the <laughs> on the wing at first, and then into the centres. So, yeah, like I say, I used to love going to the KC, like watching Hull FC and it just become a real real passion of mine and then you kind of move on to being a ball boy, absolutely when I was got, uh, chosen to be a ball boy because you're part of the scholarship, yeah, that was amazing being on the, the pitch side, like on Friday nights at games and stuff, that was I thought that was world class, so obviously when then to get to actually play for for like your, your Warrior team, it was, uh, yeah, it was brilliant Was there, was there a moment when you realised that something you were just doing because you loved it, you could actually end up making a, a career out of making money out of it, making a living out of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think it I think sometimes for young kids it can kind of be a bit of a downfall as well because when you're going through school it's kind of the only thing on your mind. For me when I was going through school it was just like, oh, I'm on scholarship, I'm on academy, so all I want to do is kind of play rugby and play for for Hull FC at the time. So it kind of takes you your mind off the academic a bit obviously you take your eye off that and for me it's it's massively important like I, I went to school and went straight into a full-time environment so there were no like college or work or anything like that but it is important to to kind of have them fallbacks or to kind of have something in place for, for or an idea in place for when you want to finish do, do you do you regret that kind of that's what happened you just went to sport and I, I don't know, does that perhaps give you some anxiety of what you might do when you're not playing sport because you haven't gone through that education process? Yeah, it does a bit. It's a good question and I often I often sit and think to myself and I don't I don't have no regrets as I kind of try not to, to have regrets. I just kind of see them as it's just experience. But as you say, when you get times like this or times what kind of, I don't know, you might get a serious injury and you kind of don't know where things can go and you, you look back and like we have players in our team where they've had that kind of bridge, they didn't, they didn't make it uh, full time straight away, so they've got a bit of a trade behind them, or they've uh, been to college or university and got some kind of degree. So they kind of know that if rugby kind of doesn't work out, they have something to to fall back on. So I, I often think about that to myself, and I, I think, like you say, do I do I wish I kind of had a couple of years in mm. between to kind of fix uh get an idea of what I wanted to do after but I can't complain really with obviously I went straight full time from school and obviously at the time that's the absolute dream and something I always wanted to do so yeah you you just got me thinking I I was really fortunate a few years ago to interview Lewis Hamilton um he came into the radio studio and we actually had a a really young kid in there who I think you know was what some schoolboy go-karting champion or something I, I probably got that wrong I can't remember but what I was so impressed with, and we got them talking to each other in the studio, and what I was most impressed with was when the microphones went off and you know, Lewis was taken out of the studio and he could have just cleared off and you know, been the celebrity he is and not wanted anything to do with the little lad. He stood there for five minutes talking to the, to the schoolboy and his dad. And I remember, I remember what he said. It was like, do you want to be a Formula One driver? And obviously the kid said, yeah. He goes, well, one tip I would give you is the, the guys who become world champions are the most intelligent so, so you need to make sure you stay in school. You need to do all the right things because that's going to be 
that's going to be the best way for you to achieve your dreams of being a Formula One champion rather than saying, you know, just sack it off and ride as much as you can. Yeah. And that, that I kind of, that, I mean, that's obviously, I've never thought about that before. I've just remembered that now. I remember thinking how impressive that was from a sportsman to actually know what, what values we should instill with guys who want to get into sport. Yeah, definitely. And as you say, it's, you can't just have that tunnel vision. So it's the same for my advice to, to young kids would be, you've, you've got to do your studies. I think in rugby league at, at the moment, they have kind of, they don't really bring them on full-time straight from school now. They, yeah. they make them do the college work and then they kind of come in once, once that's done. And I suppose as, as a young sportsman and your dream is just to play full-time, it, it, it is a bit of a ball late for you. But yeah. ultimately down the line, you are going to need that because rugby and most sports in general, is a short career and the money like you earn in rugby will not set you for life so as you say you get to kind of my age 27 now and you, you, you're kind of looking at planning and you do need something in place to fall fall into after sport so yeah it's a, it's a great bit, bit of advice at what you say you give because ultimately you are going to need something you can't just be tunnel visioned and think oh this is where I'm going to go all my life. And it is so easy to do at a young age to think that something's just going to be there forever, what, what you want to, to do. When you um, became a professional rugby player and, and you broke in, uh, I, I know you at the time it was something you struggled with, but you've spoken about it since, about how you found it tough tough mentally. And you, I think you've talked to, haven't you, about suffering from violence and... Um, you know, not speaking out because you were going into a macho culture and you were aware that there was a stigma around it. Can you give us a little more of an insight into what you were going through at the time? Yeah, it's, uh, as you say, I'm talking 10 years ago now when I was kind of coming through the ranks at Hull FC and obviously you've got your, your, your big tough guys like Lee Radford, Mark O'Mealy's and all that around you. And as you say, you just... All you want to do as a young kid is play professional sports. So that's all you want to do. You don't want to upset anyone. You just want to do it. Go to training, do your best, and hopefully get selected for the for the team. You don't think of any outside influences and stuff. But obviously, over the years, I've had a lot of time to grow up and I look back and I just just think about how I was just a, probably just a scared little boy. Really, I was 17 years of age, just left school. Like you said, a bit of a, a tough childhood with things going on in, in my life, and you kind of don't realise about them or even consider about them. So all you're kind of thinking of is rugby, and if I show any kind of weakness, obviously the coach is going to pick me or the lads are going to think I'm stupid. As you say, you're, you're just a shy young kid anyway. So to come in and kind of share your feelings is something what you, you couldn't really do then. and feel really proud now. It's probably taken a bit of time, but at the time now where we've got the rugby league cares and the state of mind, and I'd like to think if there was a, a young kid in my shoes coming through, like, I just think the environment within the rugby setup isn't as, isn't as uh, kind of tough as it was and macho back then kind of things. So you can open up and speak and there's a lot of places out there where you sport and chances and stuff and numbers all over around the stadium where you can, you can ring people up if you are struggling. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, I, I I do a lot now for for state of mind and rugby cares. Well, well aware of them, we'll discuss sporting chance as well in a minute. Um, just to pick up on what, what you said there, do you, do you think it's a landscape thing as well, and the way the world has changed? Because around about the same same age in my life, I was having the same 
struggles and I just didn't realise because mental health wasn't a thing. I, I, unlike you, who became a professional sportsman, I went to university against my wishes and I didn't want to. I hate, you know, I hated the idea of leaving home. And what I was experiencing at the time was depression and anxiety and fear. And I had no idea that that was the case um, because we had no awareness of it. And the way of dealing with it was if it's going on my head, as long as I don't tell anyone else, then it doesn't exist. And that was how I buried it. You know, completely buried it and kind of, you know, we're years on and I'm reflecting back on that like, like you now, thinking I wish I'd have dealt with that. I wish I'd have dealt with that at the time. Um, now, I had people I could have spoken to then. From what you're saying about, would it have been easier for you um, going into that macho culture if you had had that, you know, that, that circle around you at home to be able to discuss those things with so that you perhaps wouldn't have had to when you went to play rugby? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because uh, obviously, as you age as well, like I'm sat here now 27, 10 years on and I'm a lot wiser and a lot more mature. So, like I say, at 17, I, I kind of don't know whether I would or not, but I'd like to think so. As you see, fast forward into times now with the, the state of mind and all, all that that's available, you'd like, to, you'd like to think that you would have been able to kind of, kind of talk and... I was sat thinking of it this morning and I was kind of thinking, uh, I wonder if the, the world would be a, a more positive place without kind of social media and the news. And then it, I kind of flipped that and then I thought, well, the positive side of that is the amount of awareness things like yeah. mental health can get from social media and from the news. So it's a kind of a, a double-edged sword kind of thing. Like the, the social media to obviously Twitter and all that stuff to, to show awareness. And obviously all, most of the lads are on that now, so mm. they can see things and they can discuss things in private as well. Like say, you don't have to go to your coach, you don't have to go to a teammate, you can actually go somewhere in private and just, just have a chat over the phone. But uh, what a aware what just flicked what you would have said then is fear for me. Like that was a, that was a massive uh, word of mine growing up. Like look back and, as I say, just as a young kid, 17, that, that was my biggest word. It was just fear. I remember like, getting in the shower before games and just fearing, just doubting the worst, not thinking, oh, I'm going to have a, a good game today and impressing that. It was just a fear of failure and letting yeah. people down, really. And it's a, it's a really powerful emotion. And if, if you don't kind of control that or use it in the, 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 the right way, it can really bring you down that, that word. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's so weird, isn't it, how we... I guess we're kind of, we're set up to think that way negatively. I always, you know, look back at being at school and I might have absolutely sailed through an exam, got 95%, but I'll walk home thinking of that 5% that I messed up. Um, yeah. You know, it's like that, or what, what, if I, what if I fall? And you turn it around and say, well, what if I fly? But that's the way we are, isn't it? It's, and it's, yeah. so, it's so strange. Yeah, it is definitely. It certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, fear is. I mean, was the so the fear of failure was was that was that rugby was that the self doubt if, if you were. Yeah, I just think it. You were up it, to it, it you know? from, Yeah, I think it has come from the the self doubt. Just that that fear of kind of letting letting people down or just not being good enough, really. And I think that's the key for it, not being good enough. Obviously. From a young age, it was it, my mum was just a single mum of uh, three three children. who did a fantastic job. So 
when you start to piece the pieces together and it's kind of like you feel like oh, my dad just left so obviously was I not good enough and obviously emotions kind of play through have a role of playing through your life and it's you're constantly feeling am I not good enough or am I not worthy of being here and it's a, it's a constant emotion I think everything all falls back to you, your childhood your childhood does yeah. play a significant part of your life it kind of builds the bridges and the foundations and a lot of my memories of childhood are, are negative ones and it's only when you can start really piecing the pieces together as you get older you, you kind of realise why you are feeling this way and understanding the, the actions of kind of why you're feeling that way and what's maybe caused you to feel that way so yeah certainly that's been a big issue of mine is kind of I think it's appreciating yourself and knowing your, your self-value and your self-worth being good enough yeah I, I, honestly I'm on a I've been on a really similar journey and looking back to my child and because I've always been a really shy bloke that's that suffered with social anxiety, and which is ironic considering I've you know made a career as a broadcaster, which is talking, and I find talking yeah. so hard. Which and it's such you know it's such so important to mental health. But you know you look back and you think, well, I was a you know, I was I had two sisters, I was a middle child, so I just sat there and let them talk to each other and stayed in silence, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I, that's how I kind of ended up how I was. But you know that self doubt, that fear. Do you think? The onus is on us because what we're seeking there, isn't it, is we want reassurance from people. We want, you want someone to say, Reese, what are you on about? You're one of the best players in England and that will make you feel better about yourself. But people, we, someone can only say that to you if they're aware of what's going on in your head. And that's why we have to be the ones to, to, to offload and tell people because we can't get that reassurance. We can't invite that support if we don't want it. Yeah, definitely, and uh, I think that's that's really important because, as you say, if people don't understand how you, you feel, if you want to talk to them or understand kind of how you operate, then it's it's hard for them. And I've always found I've had a, a really good relationship with all my coaches, and I think it's because they kind of understand how I, how I kind of I've had some good chats with them, and they kind of understand where I'm coming from. And like, you are you are a decent person inside, but obviously you do make mistakes and. Mistakes aren't always bad things as, as long as you can uh, realise that you have made a mistake and kind of not keep making the same mistakes again. But going on to your question, yeah, it does play a big role in you having to open up to other people as well so they can kind of understand you and help you going forward. Did, did some of that self-doubt start to dissipate from you when you became established as a professional? You've already mentioned your shock when you got a call to say you're in the England squad. But you must, when you became established, there must have been a part of you that, that realised you were there for a reason, and that was because you were really good at what you were doing. Uh, I probably wouldn't say no, not when, not when I got established, because I reckon my life was still probably all over the place. It wasn't until I kind of fully took control of my life and kind of my behaviours and actions until I really started to, my, my career really started to kick on, and, I, and then I kind of got that, that self-belief like yeah I had a clear mind and I am a, I am a good player and I kind of deserve to be here but as you say still getting like phone calls from England last year and the year before and it was a, it still comes as a, a real shock to me so going back to what we were talking on earlier with your goals that's a, a big thing for me not setting them too low not thinking oh yeah I'm not, I'm not good enough to do that so but yeah it's uh, as you say it's you've, you've got to really push the bar 
pushed about high and really have, have that belief in yourself. So it's 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 that a lot. Your your best performances and you getting recognition from England, uh, really between the lines, is it's the alignment between mental health and, and physical health. When, when you've managed, first thing you've, you're doing is managing that that mental side. And that's when your performances are getting better, not the other way around. You're starting to feel stronger mentally because you're playing well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Like I say, because I was, uh, I broke into like Wakefield's first team. I was playing regular, but my life was still kind of all over the place, and I still wasn't feeling like fully reassured or felt like I was a a, a key member of the team or like I should I should be having that spot week in week out. So it wasn't until I. As I say, I got my house in order mentally before that kind of helped blossom my mind, and then it kicked onto the professional side of things. And then when you start when you start having clear thoughts, you it's a, it takes you to a good place. So uh, that that point when you when you decided to to get uh, you know get your house in, in in order mentally, I think you put it was, was that the, the time when you reached out to Sporting Chance? No. Uh, well, I just been in a incident. I just been suspended from uh, Wakefield. I was involved in an incident, a uh, car crash with uh, Tim Smith and Kevin Lock. And some of the stuff I look back on now, like it's it's crazy. It's just self destruction, and I, I often wonder how I'm not dead. And not I don't mean that in suicide, but I, some of the stuff that I've done, and or not killed somebody, or ended up in prison. So. That kind of leads me on to think I must be here for a reason, whether that's to be a, a good dad or to kind of help other people. But yeah, the, the sporting chance after that suspension, the coach at the time was uh, Brian Smith, and he 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 wanted me to to go to sporting chance. And at the time, I just I just didn't think it was right for me, and I didn't think being away from my family for that length of time for and all that was was uh, going to benefit me because I'm a a real big I love being at home with family yeah. and close to family and all that so at the time I just I felt like just like like a light bulb like I thought I, I need to kind of turn my life around here this is kind of last chance alone so I kind of just asked him to put his kind of trust in me and I felt like I'd, I'd understood now what the problems were and I could deal with them myself i.e. going to counselling and to deal with gambling, I went to uh, Gambles Anonymous meetings and stuff like that. So, and from that, I kind of made that promise to him and kind of to, um, to Michael, the CEO, that I would kind of get my stuff in order and would, I just didn't want to let him down. That just gave me that other chance to, to keep my professional career. So, I haven't really looked back since then. At the time when the club told you they were suspending you, what, what was going through your head? What was your reaction? Oh, it was just. To be honest, it was just, I didn't really care. That's how manic my, my life was. I didn't really, it was like I didn't care about my career. Like, I look back now and I think, like, where would I be now? Fast forward five years if I had got suspended and uh, then contracts terminated from the club, where would I be now? But because you're just not clear thinking and you just, you're just in a world of your own. And as I say, at the time, I just, I didn't really take it for, for what what I actually had in front of me and obviously I'm so privileged to be in the position I am in so yeah looking back now it's just just crazy. Do you feel indebted to your club that they they took that step on on your behalf? Yeah definitely obviously the coach at the time I said Brian had a good relationship with Brian he was a really good man manager really cared about his players and 
obviously Michael, the CEO, still our CEO, now has done a, a great job. I'm, I'm indebted to them, and as I say, who knows where I'd be now, but I'd like to think over over the past few years, I've kind of uh, paid them back with some performances, and I've had a couple of chances to move away from the club, but the club really means a lot to me. I've been there, it's eight seasons now, and it's got that kind of family feel around it. It's a, it's, I kind of relate to the club like kind of my upbringing. It's not the, the flashiest and not the biggest club, but everyone kind of pulls together, whether that's the volunteers or all the, the staff that we've got, and everyone pulls together and makes it a real family club. It makes it work, and we kind of just met the best of, of what we've got. And yeah, yeah, the club really means a lot to me. Uh, you mentioned Sporting Chance and, and obviously Tony Adams, who started all that up, who's now the, the RFL president. And you got given his award last year, didn't you, for, for your volunteering work that we, we'll talk about in a sec. How did you feel when, when that news was given to you? Yeah, uh, obviously overwhelmed, really. An icon figure like Tony Adams, uh, it's, it was over the moon to, to receive the first award from him. It's... Not something you kind of you think of, so really humbling. Uh, obviously, I, I kind of went into that line of work to, to help others, not really get any, uh, what's the word, recognition for myself. So, yeah, to get that rewarded off, off someone like Tony's statue, was, yeah, it was overwhelming and really humbling. That's that's kind of the way I see it. I mean, you know, if, if there was someone going through such such turmoil if, if if you can then use that to try and uh, I, I, I don't know make make other vulnerable people think differently about themselves then then that is something that is something good that you can take from it and, and I'm guessing from from listening to you that that was what drove you down that route so tell us a little bit more about about that um, volunteering work that you are and, and still currently doing with with young offenders yeah it's just I got into it uh when I was living in Wakefield about, I remember about four years ago, uh, and Stu Dickens, his partner Lisa, was doing a bit of a, she works with the youth offending team uh, in Wakefield, so I spoke to Stu and Lisa got me kind of involved in, in that way, and that was kind of my, my first foot in the path, and then I led on to doing a bit of volunteering work at uh, Castleford Academy High School, just like around PE teaching and stuff like that, just kind of getting a feel for what I wanted to do, and then I kind of I moved back to Hull and I had a family friend who was working for the East Riding yacht team. So I, I got involved again doing that. And it was just more just taking lads out for coffee or an ice cream or just just a game of pool or whatever kind of suited them. Just real low key. And it's, it's just about being a kind of positive role model for myself. I just, I just thought like I kind of had a story to tell and experiences and I'm not, I'm not there just kind of preaching to them. Like mm. a lot of these young kids see the counsellors or what, and they think they're just uh, preaching to them or telling them what to do. But I felt like I could relate to them and kind of tell them a bit about my story as well, just to, to build that trust up. And once you kind of build trust up with, with somebody yeah. and uh, conversation, conversations start to flow and you, you break down barriers. So I felt like I, I could do that by just relating to them. Like I say, I never asked them anything. You, you kind of tell them your story and then bits of what they want to, to tell you start coming out over the week. So I built up a, a good relationship with a, a couple of young guys there and then that led on to Stu said there was an opportunity at Weatherby going into the 
young offenders there doing uh, some like group work, which I thought, yeah, that'll be outstanding. So there was uh, me and a couple of teammates, David Fina and Pauly Pauly and a couple of other clubs just went down and we just kind of delivered sessions. And again, it was just real low-key, just playing a bit of pool and just having general chat with them, just seeing how they're, they're getting on and hopefully just them seeing us putting time into them as uh, key role models, just to help them kind of uh, when they get out of there and realise that hope's not all lost, that there's a, a track still for them if they want to change their lives around. It's it's about when you show your vulnerability, it encourages others to do the same, isn't it? I guess it's it's that's the bottom line to it. Um, and I'm I'm thinking, listening to you, you you obviously know these people need that role model, and that's someone to talk to and just to 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 bounce off and offload off if they need to offload. Is 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 that you, kind of providing providing that outlet for them because you know personally that that's what you needed at certain times in your life and you didn't have it. Yeah, hundred percent. As I say, I, I look back at my life and not having a, a positive role model, especially a. a a male role model it doesn't have a big impact on, on your life kind of thing because as men you kind of like to, to speak to men and kind of following your, your dad's footsteps so not having that around and the stuff that I went to that kind of held me from opening up kind of thing I like I can, that's where I started keeping my emotions to myself because you see him more upset so you're kind of being strong for mum so the idea of being that positive role model in, in these kids life is as I said, it's uh, something that I'm really passionate about, and I do believe that it does play a key part. A lot of these kids are just a bit, just a bit lost. Really, they're not necessarily bad kids, but they're just a, a bit lost and need a bit of guidance and just putting on on the right track. So, as I said, the more people that can help, some some of the lads uh, are not interested, or they'll, they'll still obviously continue to to go down their route. But as you say, if you could just help a couple and just show that. I think a lot of it just comes down to caring. If you if you just show like to someone like you care, then yeah. it's a it's a really big emotion, and as I say, it can it can take you places. I I know how fulfilling it is. I also know how challenging some of that must be for you. Can I ask you? I mean, you've talked a lot in this podcast about self doubt. I want to ask you this, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to. But in in what you're doing with with the young offenders. Um, and we talk about, you know, getting up, bearing your soul and feeling vulnerable. Now, I get self-doubt when I do that in, in work with, with State of Mind and Rugby League Cares because, yes, I do have the life experience and I want to share kind of events and experiences I've had and how I've dealt with it. But I'm always acutely aware that I'm not a doctor and I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm medically trained and I've been in rooms where I've opened up and that's, that's got someone to open up to me and they've told me, they, you know, they're basically, that they're suicidal and, you know, they've been struggling for the last two days and that makes me think, well, am I the right person to help this person? But then it's when you talk to them, you realise actually you might be because they want yeah. to talk and they want to talk to someone who gets it. Yeah. it do, you, do, you, do you know what I'm, what I'm trying to get out there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as you said, it's, it's like you say, a lot of, a lot of people, the doctors, all this, the professionals, so to say, like you say, those with, with all the degrees in kind of counselling and all that, uh, especially in young children, a lot of them kind of think that just preaching some more. I've got a, a youth offending meeting, and I can't be bothered with that. Where, as, as you say, people like kind of ourselves and people who could just share experiences with them. And as you say, it's, it's not you just kind of asking them or telling them what to do, you're, you're letting on a bit about yourself as yeah. well. And it's, 
it's building that relationship and just knocking them bridges down. And if, if you're kind of willing to open up to another person and show your your weaknesses and your dark side as well, it, it's more than likely that they'll be more willing to, to do the same to you. So, as you say, it's, to me, it's, it's not massively about being overqualified or a doctor and that to me it's, it's just having them experiences and I often find that they're the, the best ways to kind of engage in conversations with people to find out kind of their, their deeper problems just by sharing your own and then then sharing theirs with you building that kind of trust and relationship. Uh, let's bring it back to rugby I want, I want to ask you how it actually been playing for England in just a sec but just to expand on, on, on that point how, how do you think we are uh, as, a, as a sport now at Rugby League in terms of sharing and looking out looking out for each other you know going back 10 years you, you say you didn't feel you you could talk and perhaps that made you unable to look out for for your teammates do you think do you think we're all right at that now do you think we're getting there yeah 100% uh, as I say I still think there's a, a couple of things we can improve on but from where we was talking like 10 years ago we're, we're streets and I think we're streets head of a, a lot of sports in regards to, to what we do and as I say we've got the clinics and stuff and the welfare officers uh, they do brilliant jobs having a welfare officer each club's just just great someone from the side from the coaches what you if you if you are in a bit of trouble or not feeling so great you can just chat to, to privately and obviously lads have the, the WhatsApp groups to keep in touch regular so that, that's another another bonus just lads just checking in on each other and just making sure everyone's all right. Like you say, all the texts is just just a little text, just to to say to see how somebody is. And you never know. Usually you get yeah, I'm okay, but you never know. The, the one time you might get you're not feeling so good, and you can can be there for them. Uh, so what was it like putting on the English shirt for the first time? Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing, absolute dream come true uh, to get presented uh, my cap the night before and then to pull on my England shirt, especially alongside my. Uh, teammate Tom Johnson it was yeah. it was amazing just representing the club I'm not too sure uh, when was the last time Wakefield really had uh, two players playing for England so to be doing the, the team proud as well it was great having my mum there and my partner and everything it was, uh, it was a real one of the best experiences I've had definitely that would have meant a lot to them as well right? yeah 100% yeah it was uh, would have meant the, the world to them and you say I'm uh, hungry to get more. I don't just want to sit on that one. Uh, yeah, I'm keen to get some more under under my belt and have some good good memories down the line. So you're still loving the sport. You've still got the hunger for it, haven't you? Definitely. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Well, I've, I've still got four years uh, left at Wakefield, so I feel like I'm just coming into the prime. And as I said, all my kind of my personal things are kind of under control. So I feel like the next or the next four or five years, you. Really start to kick on and see the best of me, hopefully. And as I say, the, the off field stuff does play a major part in your life. Uh, you've kind of got that under control. You, you, your rugby kind of looks after itself, and it's a it's an important thing. So yeah, I'm really excited for, for what the future holds. Well, hopefully, once the sport gets up and running again, hopefully that's sooner rather than later. Yeah. Does it? I mean, does that does that give you anxiety? I mean, rugby league is not doesn't have the millions of of Premier League football, does that worry you where where the sport might be after we get out of of what we're going through? Now? Yeah, it, it does. It, I do I do have that anxiety for the kind of sport, and I do kind of worry about the sport and where it's going to go from here, and kind of 
the, the impact on the, the grassroots and all that, like where the next kind of generation is coming from to keep the, the game going. But again, it's just it's the same with contracts and all stuff like that. It's, it's something that if you have to take a reduction, again, it goes back to I can't really control that. If the, if the club decides that the salary cap's getting dropped or the RFL decide that and you have to take a pay cut or whatever happens, again, I, I can't control that. So again, it's, it's, it's kind of pointless worrying about something what I can't control. So at the moment, I'm just kind of focusing on just keeping in shape and, as you say, just, just doing the best that I can. I feel like I've really learned a lot from you during this chat and I've been quite moved by a lot of things you said. Perhaps as a final thought then, um, if you were speaking now, as, as, I, as I hope you might be on this Rugby League United podcast, to, to, any, to any of the younger generation listening who I would hope would be inspired by you but, and they are thinking of breaking into professional sport but perhaps are filled with doubt or anxiety and uh, about what that might bring and, and feel that they can't talk to anyone because it's a macho sport so they shouldn't perhaps get involved what would be your your advice and what would be your message if you could have a direct line to someone who is thinking like that yeah it'd just be just to, to open up and I know you get a lot of people saying oh it's easier said than done but talking is, is such a massive relief like you, you don't realize until you actually talk to somebody who's kind of not judging you just just willing to to sit and listen like it, it, it's just it's like a, a weight lifted off your shoulders. So just just to be able to to talk to, to people and feel comfortable in that and not be a kind of ashamed or feel like anybody's judging you or you're going to be knocked down a few pegs. And so yeah, that would be my clear message. And as well, another one is just to to kind of I think a, a massive one is understanding your emotions. So for me, that's it doesn't matter what what line of work you're whether you're a sportsman, whether you're a postman, whatever you are, like. Throughout life, you are going to have different emotions daily, whether that's happy, sad, angry. We're all going to go through them. So it's about dealing with them emotions. So personally for me, a lot of the times when things went wrong, I dealt with I dealt with them in the wrong way. I dealt with my emotions in the wrong way. So I'm in a, a lot better place now when things do go wrong. For instance, at the beginning of the year, I had a tragedy with my nephew passing away. So for me, I'm looking back five years ago, I'd have just been self-destructing, uh, taking pain, prescription drugs, all stuff like that, and just, just causing chaos, really, where now my emotions, I'm in control of my emotions. I could, I could deal with that uh, the right way. And by talking to people around me as well, you kind of, you, you just you get through it as, uh, as a, a family, really. And I think that's my clear, clear message, just to be able to kind of control your emotions, understand your emotions, and no matter what that emotion is, that it's fun to, to have that. been a brilliant guest. I wish you nothing but success. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Cheers, mate. Uh, that's Reese Lynn, and we'll be back next week on the Rugby League United podcast. <laughs>